Thank you for downloading the Green Majority Podcast. We hope you enjoy uh, today's show. We think we will. Uh, you can become a member of the Green Majority if you enjoy what we do. Please consider supporting us. You can become a member at www.patreon.com slash greenmajority. Uh, we use the money to uh, help uh, pay for our equipment and website, and uh, that's sort of the treading water option. Uh, when we get a little bit more, uh, there's some uh, some goals put on our patron account. You'll see that we actually hope to plan to roll out some more things as well as uh, perhaps uh, some more content for additional uh, programs, uh, some uh, some actual researchers, some other stuff. So if you're interested in helping and supporting the show and helping us grow and become a better show that reaches more people, please consider becoming a member today. Other than that, enjoy the program and uh, thanks for listening. Welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority on this uh, somewhat nice spring morning here in Toronto, Friday, uh, uh, the 26th of May. Uh, I'm in the studio once again, uh, on mic at least, with just Stefan. Uh, good day to you, Stefan. Good day to you. Uh, we're going to be talking to each other through glass again today. So uh, I, I, I find that whenever it's just you and me, there's more jokes. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I, I think it just, uh, it's, it's, I think it's a natural of two people, perhaps. You know, <laughs> maybe we're just, we're just trying to... Trying to lighten the mood. Two people who are uh, uh, very naturally very silly people. Yes, that's probably that yeah, also that, exactly. That's that's, that's that's the real problem. Way too silly. So I'm going to be talking about. Uh, we have some new carbon uh, carbon uh, slash methane regulations coming out. Catherine uh, McKenna has been doing the media rounds on that. I'm going to be talking about that as well as uh, somebody I know. I somebody I actually think I didn't have time to check. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm Facebook friends with uh, who I've bumped into on several things. Was just uh, re- uh, just replaced a former oil industry PR person as uh, Jim Karen, the Canadian Natural Resources Minister, um, as their top aide, um, as the chief of staff. Uh, so some irony there. Well, not irony, some very good optics. Irony is definitely the wrong word. But um, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's definitely uh, some very intentioned uh, optics going on there. Uh, we're going to discuss um, how excited, if you should be excited, why you shouldn't be excited about all of those things in the middle section of the show. At the end of the show, uh, honestly, we haven't quite decided yet. I may be talking about some more news. If not, it'll make it to the bonus show. But I've also got on my radar some stuff about uh, BC coastal energy being mapped. I've got uh, some information about uh, Canadian clean tech companies working in Chile. We may do some other things, uh, but that's all later in the show. Right now, I'm going to hand you off to Stefan, as usual, to take point. Take it away, Stefan. Thank you so much. Uh, so I, I've, I think we're doing news at the end of the show. Uh, I, I want to cover a, a piece uh, that that covers a, a slap lawsuit, uh, which we'll get into at the end of the show. But for now, I want to talk about a, a question and a couple news stories uh, that are related to the question that I came up with uh, that was inspired by a talk I went to yesterday. And it's as someone who's you know in the environmental field as as much as I feel like I can be, uh, and and Im- dives as far into this as I can. I end up at a lot of these sort of talks about environmental issues and things like that. And what stood out about a talk I went to yesterday was that it was perhaps one of the most different 
talks uh, I've been to, which sounds like it's not a compliment, but it's the highest compliment I can give to an environmental discussion. <laughs> um, especially, you know, you, you hear, uh, if, you know, I'm sure if you're in any industry, you hear the same things over and over and over again. Uh, and so it's refreshing to hear uh, a different kind of conversation. And it was it was sponsored. It, it, funny enough, it was sponsored and put on by Greenpeace, which is perhaps uh, a, a uh, a funny thought, given that they're sort of known as like the environmental thing. So it's interesting that they're actually you know that they're pushing a different kind of conversation. Um, but it was a conversation between uh, Bunny McDermott. Uh, who is one of the two executive directors of Greenpeace International. Uh, Desmond Cole, who's a, is an activist here in the city, uh, also a journalist. Um, and Avi Lewis, uh, who, of course, is known for you know, his work in you know, getting the Leap Manifesto and all this sort of stuff. Avi Lewis was sort of the moderator of this, of this two-person conversation. Sister to Naomi Klein, uh, exactly. who might be slightly more name, more uh, recognizable. Think, are they si- – they're, they're married. I think they're still – I think they're married. Am I confused? There's uh, she. Somebody also has a sibling that's also involved. That, if, if, may if also I'm, be true. If I'm wrong, that's also a very funny mistake. Yes, but either way, they related it somewhat, yeah, so, so some way connected with uh, Naomi um, I'm pretty sure they're married. Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So it was a, it was a fascinating conversation, uh, entirely based around free speech um, and the concept of free speech and and freedom to some extent as well. Uh, but what it got me thinking about in part it was this question of whether or not. Uh, we as environmentalists, um, how much we've internalized what victory looks like and, and whether or not we are rooting for, uh, and whether we're basically whether or not we're rooting for uh, the victory, a, a environmental victory that sort of looks exactly like we have now, but with you know, renewable energy, or if we're looking for the actual sustainable victory. Um, because you know this idea to electrify everything uh, and switch to renewables is uh, is an attractive solution for climate change, and and arguably it is the fastest way to get to real action on climate change within the timescale we have. And so I'm not trying to say that's not a thing we need to do, um, but I want to go back to a distinction I made, I don't know, years ago, um, which which was this distinction between you can solve climate change and still in be no way sustainable. Like you do not have to be sustainable in any way, shape, or form to ha- live in a in a carbon neutral world. Carbon neutral does not necessarily mean sustainable. Um, and I think I think what ne- right now we're really uh, we're really looking at and we're really sort of talking about and in, in, in envisioning that the vision we're setting for the world isn't a sustainable world, but rather a carbon neutral world. Uh, and I think that distinction is important because I think to move towards that actual sustainable world, um, and I think also there's a, there are some there are going to be some carbon pieces that are going to be very difficult to remove without really a full system shift. Um, but I, I think what we what what we have to realize is that we as environmentalists, especially especially environmentalists in in the West uh, or the global North uh, or the developed nations, however you want to understand uh, those uh, us currently here, um, is is that we are a very privileged group. You know, uh, we unquestionably that's you know we we live in all of like if you if live in any of those things you live in a in a Western nation or, or a rich nation and so you are relatively quite privileged. Um, and a true sustainable revolution would require giving up much of that privilege. Like you, you can't, you can't have a, you can't have an un, you can't have a sustainable world in a unsustainable economic or political climate, uh, which you know, which which we have currently with the amount of people that are being sort of held down. Um, and so, and so, I think there's, I, th- I, I think we as environmental movement have to look deeper into what this sort of wider scope of conversation comes from. And an example of that. 
was at one point Desmond uh, Cole brought up a very interesting point um, about food policy. Uh, specifically, um, he, whether or not when, when he when he talks to people who talk about food policy, the conversation more more often than not is you know is about farmland and, and protecting farms and all stuff like that. Uh, but his point was that if he does not also include respect for migrant workers uh, and respect for the people who are picking the food, um, you know, we can say we can say we want to protect the farmers as much as we want, but the farmers often are just the people who own the land, uh, and, and and many small farmers are doing a lot of, are doing the work as well. But you know, in, in these larger industrial farms, they are not the ones actually doing the work. Uh, and so we have this weird dichotomy between the farmers who we sort of have remained with this idea of that must be protected and, and, and supported and the migrant workers who are who who are necessary to help these farmers when in reality, you know, if you can't if you're if you can't if you can't give them the basic rights, say path towards citizenship um, or even health care. Like there's a story a couple weeks ago or maybe it was last week uh, about about how about how a, a migrant worker who got injured on the job and was just shipped home. Uh, like you know, forget forget the forget the fact that you live in a country with national health care. You're not a citizen, so we're just going to send you back. Uh, and that's that is unsustainable. That is unsustainable practices, and that is something that you have to understand. You have to change. Um, and, and and that's incredibly important to this larger conversation of sustainability. I mean, like we live in a society today where the freedom to buy is placed above the freedom to be. You know, like I mean, like look at loitering laws. Uh, heaven forbid you stand in a mall not buying something. That's not allowed. They're like, and you know whether or not it's actually illegal or the security guard will tell you to move along. Just standing in a mall for some people is not allowed. Uh, but heaven forbid that you're told you can't buy something for you know for for like for for cheap, right? It's like uh, like our living wage movement uh, shows that the quest for fifteen dollar minimum wage is met with how will people afford things. Um, but the cheap fashion tells us that we deserve a $2 shirt so much so that the 12 hour work days that someone's making for the $2, make, they make that same $2. Like you got a $2, you got a, you got a $2, you get a $2 shirt because someone was paid $2 for 12 hours of their labor somewhere else. And all of this has to be a part of our understanding of sustainability. No, I just wanted to jump in with another, cause there's another example. And I, I always try and find non-environmental examples when I can, because I think it helps people, you know, if they, if the environment argument as it's being stated, doesn't immediately click with somebody, maybe another one that's, that's similar will as far as helping people make that understanding leap. So one of the things I was thinking about while you were talking was the fact that, uh, you know, tons of uh, LGBT people have been fired in, in the US, but it wasn't until a cake maker refused to sell them a cake that that became a national story, right? But it was the, it was the, it was the rights of the consumer and it was the consumer business relationship that got national headlines, not the, you know, right to have a job or basic, more basic human rights were not the ones that got attention. It was the right, right. it was the thing violating the economic, the purchase power of whether or not someone was allowed to buy something or not. Well, that is the thing that got everybody's attention. Yeah, well, you look at the responses in the states right now, to uh, to the differences between uh, Ben Jacobs, the Guardian reporter, getting choke slammed by a politician, and people convincing advertisers to leave Sean Hannity, and some in some some reactions are from 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 from, from particularly Republican leaning or people members of Congress and things like that is how dare you attack Hannity with uh, with his advi- with his advertisers, but the choke slam totally cool. 
and you're like again it's it's it, if you deny you deny someone you deny someone the free the, the capital in a, in a market system suddenly that's that's egregious for, no matter what he's done but choke slam a reporter for asking a question yeah go for it yeah you know, like, well hannity hannity has admitted on several occasions uh quite gleefully that he's not a journalist so he's <laughs> probably he, i mean he's not concerned about this because he's not a journalist right, right exactly so. um and so and so like so if this is so if we are committed uh what do we do uh, and I think this is a sort of uh, to step back here, and, and and I think there's two things. I think any sort of scenarios is two things, right? If you want to change the system, you you dismantle and remove ourselves from the system that exists today, and you build and support a new one. Uh, so in the last five minutes, I'm going to try to fire through two ways you can do this. Uh, first, uh, a way to actually dismantle and remove yourself from the system um, is say you don't like something, say the Dakota Access Pipeline. Uh, there's a there's a there's a whole new new revelations this last week about a whole new set of spills coming out from Energy Transfer Partners, which is the firm behind the Dakota Access Pipeline. Uh, it's coming under intense scrutiny due to a series of leaks of uh, uh, pipelines, specifically uh, Rover Pipeline in Ohio, uh, in which documents obtained uh, by the Guardian seem to indicate that the two million gallon spill, which already sounds pretty bad, actually was closer to maybe four or five ga- million gallons. Um, and, and this is only one of a dozen incidents on that particular pipeline. This is like a, this, and this is, all of this is around energy transfer partners who are currently building this code access pipeline, which again, the entire fight against it was that they was going to pollute the, the waters under it. Um, and you know, some of these things happened in marshes and, and it'll take decades. Um, and you know, and, and it's not like, and this isn't one of those things where it's like, Oh, everything has some problems. Um, it's was totally avoidable. Uh, the state EPA spokesperson James Lee uh, told the Guardian at, uh, that the latest figures of the spill was was more than two million dollars, or sorry, sorry, two million uh, gallons. Uh, but it's, it's a tragedy that, as a quote, sorry, uh, it's a tragedy that in the affected wetland will likely not recover for, to its previous condition for decades. And had Rover more closely monitored their drilling equipment and been better prepared for immediate emergency response, this is, incident would likely have not occurred on the scale that we're dealing with now. So this isn't again, this isn't one of those things in which it's like, oh, this happens eventually. This is something they could have solved, they didn't. Um, and these are the people who are currently building the the Dakota Access Pipeline. Uh, and, you know, and the, and the Dakota Access Pipeline itself has had three recent leaks, even before it's fully operational. So there's a plethora of reasons to be against this pipeline. And if you're against it, uh, a pretty easy way to remove yourself from the system that supports it is to leave the Canadian banks that are supporting it. Uh, you know, currently, uh, you know, RBC, Scotiabank, and TD are all in some ways supporting the Code Access Pipeline. Uh, and so if you don't want to be part of the Code Access Pipeline, you can remove yourself from the system. Well, our, our friend Tim Nash, who's a, a frequent uh, person on the show and might be listening. Hi, Tim. Um, <laughs> Uh, d- did a blog post recently that was uh, very popular. He told me about uh, how to divorce your bank or something like yeah, that, yeah, how yeah. to break up with your bank or whatnot. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll add a link to his post on that uh, because he actually has details about how to actually do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and again, it's a way to, it's, it's a way to remove yourself from the system. If you want to show that you are committed to changing the system, remove yourself from the systems causing harm. Uh, and the second thing is, a second thing is to, okay, so what can we do to build and support a new one? That's the second option here, obviously. Um, and an easy way is to, 
I think one of the main things I'm th- I've become more interested in now is this concept of instead of doing these things on the margins, I think more often that we think of our we think of environmental actions on the margins. You know, uh, turning off lights or or finding little ways in a ra- to, to to sort of reduce our impact on the outside parts of our life. Uh, I'm getting more and more interested in the concept of uh, drilling down into the core parts of my life and or, or, or and in finding ways to make the core parts of us more sustainable. So, for example, things like shelter food and in and, and, and clothing um and a big way to do at least that uh, i have not looked into enough to really understand how in the dense urban center i'm able to make my you know the apartment i rent uh more sustainable uh so focus more on fashion and food and and the, and the one thing you can do is you can support the movements like slow the, the slow movements which is something i mentioned forever ago on the show and i never picked up again i apologize to the people who asked me to do that um but maybe i will now uh but the but specifically, the idea of sort of slow food, which is, which is the most common one, which again is a, a way to support, uh, you know, which prioritizes soil health and small scale farming and organics and all this other stuff to sort of to, as a way to increase and, and support uh, more sustainable farming practices. Um, but also slow fashion, which is a new concept and, it, and, it's, and it's growing out now, which is a similar idea in that it really supports. Uh, Slow fashion is the idea that it supports quality goods. You aren't buying them a ton um, and, and everything like that, right? Um, and and if you and, 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 there are, and there are places to if you want to go uh, find out where you can do this, uh, there's actually a event tomorrow called Design Forward, uh, thrown up by Fashion Takes Action, friend of the show. Um, Make sure you add the date in case people are listening to the podcast. Yeah, good point. Yes, fair <laughs> enough. If, tomorrow is Friday, as is Saturday, March, uh, May twenty seventh. Uh, so if you're listening to the podcast, you probably aren't making it, but you can still look up the ten designers who are on the semifinalists for this competition because all of them are doing some kind of sustainable fashion or some kind of slow fashion uh, that that has, that supports you know fair wages and uses sustainable inputs. And I think. If we can, if we can look towards these sort of things, if you can, if you can start really moving, pulling yourself out of some of these systems and, and buying into the systems that we need, especially in these sort of core parts of your life, we can slowly start showing with our actions that we do want a more sustainable world. Uh, instead of sort of saying, you know, wearing, and again, I am one hundred percent guilty of this, so I'm not saying that this is everyone, uh, but you know, wearing H and M and our, uh, you know, and our two dollar shirts while saying let's get Get wind power everywhere, uh, you know, and and so I I think this for me is the next step for for in some ways for environmentalism is to is to really start bringing a lot of these is, solutions that exist in the world into our lives. Uh, so check out Design Forward if you can. At least support the ten organizations that are the semifinalists in that sustainable fashion uh, competition is what it is, um, and and you know slow down maybe says the person who just spoke incredibly quickly for 20 minutes. (laughs) You did. Uh, I'm going to slow it down by completely throwing a road bump on your serious point there to say, um, do you know why I'm not going uh, tomorrow? Why? I have a different fashion event I'm going to. That's (laughs) it's, it's the anime convention tomorrow. Oh, (laughs) so sorry, but I'm still going to be doing fashion stuff. There you go. Stefan will take notes for me. I feel like you know that, that you're still building your own clothes. I feel like the anime convention is a is a is a, is a good example of 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 sort of do it yourself culture. You know, uh, DIY costumes are actually generally really good about reusing materials. 
uh, generally really bad because there's a lot of plastic uh, involved. Uh. Um, so that's the downside. So a lot of uh, a lot of like melted plastic. I know it sounds really bad, but it looks super cool. <laughs> um, so that's a definitely a downside. But the, there's another side where the people aren't doing like armor, which is generally what you need plastic type materials for mm. uh, that you warm up and bend. I've been learning a little bit about that. Huh. Uh, but if you're just doing like non body armor, if you're just doing like capes and stuff like that, generally it's it, people are really good because they don't want. It's already expensive enough hobby that uh, people are really generally really good about recycling so yeah and and, uh, do, and diy culture is in, inherently in some way you're learning how to make your own stuff that's a that is a benefit no matter what someone anyone who says making stuff can't be fun has never been to an anime convention <laughs> uh okay so we're, we're going to go to a music break now i'm going to come back and talk a little bit more about uh domestic policy more specifically uh in a few minutes and then we've got a lot more for you so uh, before we do that though you are listening to the green majority this is live on ciut 89.5 fm or on our podcast which uh is where you'll find our bonus show you can find uh, information about that uh but the bonus show post information links to all the stuff we mentioned on the show and everything else at greenmajority.ca or you could be listening on one of our wonderful and extremely appreciated community radio partners uh, all across the country now internationally as well. Thank you for listening. Uh, we're going to go to Megan now, who's going to tell us what our music break is. Take it away. Our first music break is going to be close. All right, we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Saren Kaster, and I'm here with Stefan Hostetter. Uh, also, uh, our tech, Megan, is hiding quietly behind me, <laughs> but it's just us three here uh, today. Uh, this is going to be um, my news section, more or less. Um, and I have a number of topics, but I'd like to spend some time sort of chatting about the first one. So we may only get through the... Uh, uh, methane, uh, methane, 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 um, <laughs> story, uh, at the beginning. So, uh, just for a little bit of background. So Canada had announced, um, that it would be regulating, uh, methane emissions, uh, just for a quick recap. Uh, methane is a, uh, uh, CO2 like, uh, acting, uh, agent, um, it, uh, it functions, it has a, a atmospheric effect that can be calculated relative to carbon. The place where it gets tricky is that it's much, much stronger. I believe, uh, Stefan will correct me from memory. I believe it's 20 times stronger than that's the, that's the number I've heard. Man. It stays, it stays in the atmosphere for less time. Uh, but that, but yes, is correct. Uh, yeah. So it's sort of like, it's sort of like more, it's sort of like taking more like CO2 and compressing it into a shorter time span. So it yeah. has a higher effect and burns off faster. Now that burn off faster may or may not help us out at all on the climate change. Yeah, exactly. Part. That, 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 that's the that thing. may not be relevant. Yeah, and that's the sort of thing. It's like one of those things where it's like, yeah, at some point it might cool down, but also that's not necessarily a thing to really rely on. It sort of. It actually reminds me of that joke where uh, it was a joke that Neil deGrasse Tyson was telling during a talk, and he was saying something. He said something about the sun burning out in a few billion years, and someone stood up and said, "Excuse me, did you say billion or million?" He said, "Billion." He's like, "Oh, phew." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah kind of reminds me of that uh it may it may be something like that uh so there's a thing so uh so uh Catherine mckenna has been doing some pr rounds doing some interviews uh promoting these new regulations uh upside and several downsides so upside first uh they are going to regulate uh approximately uh something equivalent to approximately 282 megatons of carbon dioxide equivalent uh, or about 60 million cars off the road, and it's expected to save $13.4 billion from 2018 to 2035 uh, in avoided climate change damages. So this is something that is now being calculated. Uh, everyone should have uh, a giant bookmark anytime they see any of those numbers. I, I don't want you to immediately discount them, uh, but they are approximations. They could be much lower. They could be much, 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 much higher. 
Um, so the, let's just use those numbers with the understanding that they're very soft numbers, um, very unreliable numbers, because it's incredibly hard to predict uh, the cascading effects of something like uh, climate change, because obviously, you know, you, for just for example, you can calculate how much uh, a warmer temperature is going to impact food production, but you don't know what the societal downstream effects of less food production is going to be if it affects just our trading, if people starving in Canada, it does both of those things. What other downstream effects do those things have? All of those effects are causes unto themselves. And so it can become extremely complicated to make these predictions and, and something just generally good to keep in mind when talking about climate change. Um, but so uh, one of the downsides is that uh, it's been bumped back three years from when they expected to do it. They were expecting to publish this uh, in uh, late 2017, according to senior, uh, senior government officials. Um, it is now being published in 2018 and may not roll into force until 2023 and 2020. Um, one of the first things that stood out to me about this was, well, there's a few things. One of them was that I've been seeing a lot of articles recently, uh, even including one in the guardian, which kind of surprised me, um, about, um, you know, Canada doing its part while the U S falls behind. So there, and as far as where we're at today, as far as like what Trump is doing versus what Trudeau is doing, that's true. It, it's certainly true. It's undeniably true. Um, that being said, uh, until Scott Pruitt makes a bunch of changes to the EPA as it stands right now, Canada's policies are in fact weaker than the Americans current policies. So that's that data point, that fact, that talking point, that news item can be deceiving. You have to take it into context that we we're doing better than Trump's doing, but that doesn't <laughs> matter. mean we're doing better than the Americans are doing. That may change, but it's a, it's a caution about not using the Americans as our benchmark, especially like generally we shouldn't use our benchmark. We can we can gain useful insights from looking at that, but it's not shouldn't be used as like the standard by which we judge whether or not we're doing well or not. Um, and also just the fact that right now is basically a useless time to do that because things are well, depending on what you're talking about and what day you're talking about it, uh, you might be comparing things to Obama or you might be comparing things to Trump, and uh, and we just need all need to keep that in mind. So, is this actually good? Well. It looks pretty good as far as what it does. What I'm concerned about, Stefan, and where I'll ask you to chime in is uh, is the usual conversation. Relatively speaking, this is good. Does it solve the problem? No. That's really easy. No, it doesn't. And I'll and I'll show you why I can say that so uh, so so surely in a, in a moment. Um, but as the government has recently started saying, uh, I don't know if they've been listening to the show, but uh, part of this pitch has to be that. This is a global problem, and we have to be looking at it from a global uh, point of view. So let's come back to that number. 282 megatons of carbon dioxide were taken off the road, approximately 60 million cars worth, expected to save 13.4 billion from 2018 to 2035. 282 megatons. I did a quick Google search, Stefan, <laughs> before the show. I wonder if you know where this is going. Um, so I'm looking at a website here. This is from the National Snow and Ice Data Center, which is an American uh, scientific firm. Uh, an article on methane and frozen ground by Dr. Uh, Kevin Schaefer. Uh, I'll, I'll post a link to the article. It has some helpful uh, diagrams and whatnot if someone wants to read up on this or if you're confused about how methane works uh, in relation to carbon pollution. But I'm just going to read directly off uh, the first sentence here and see if you notice a problem. There's a huge amount of carbon stored in the permafrost. Right now, Earth's atmosphere contains 850 gigatons of carbon. Huh. Now, what was that number again? 282 megatons. So I'm not saying <laughs> that Canada has to be responsible for preventing 
850 billion megatons. But what I am saying is that what we've been talking about over the last few years is that the Arctic permafrost is about to melt, and if it does, we're in trouble. And what we've been covering over the past few weeks is that it is now melting. So in the big scale of things, if our goal is to, as I'm told it is, to prevent catastrophic climate change, if we're the only amount of effort that we need to be considering is, is the effort we're undertaking enough to prevent the Arctic permafrost from fully melting? If the answer is no, that number doesn't matter. <laughs> and this reminds me back, and, and here's where I'll go to a comment from Stefan, but this, this reminds me back to this conversation I had when I went into a, a meeting with a bunch of uh, bank executives and oil executives and folks, and, and I was asked to, uh, allowed to ask a question, and they were talking about how much uh, relative gain they had made and, and were proudly patting themselves on the back and congratulating one another on what a great job and what environmental leaders they were doing. And I said, you know, all I've heard from you tonight is relative statistics you know you've been talking about three percent gain over yourself since last year you've been talking about you know 1.5 percent gain year over year compared to industry standard i said what is any of this information how is this information in any way useful if we're not in any way comparing it to absolute limits like absolute need if we're not comparing this to our ultimate goal how happy like how do you have any feeling about these relative goals um and they all looked really offended and shocked but i mean we got to keep our eye on the ball here folks um, if we're not preventing runaway catastrophic climate change, then this is all useless. Um, but maybe I'm going crazy. Stefan, sort me out here. Well, I, I feel like I feel like there's a you know that's it's interesting. It's not even if if, if it stops all of the uh, of the methane being released from permafrost because in reality, as soon as some is, and it's a then it's a then it's a positive feedback loop, right? As soon as uh, when positive feedback loop is basically a concept that when something happens, it encourages more of it to happen, right? Uh, so if you know if say the first ten percent of of methane is re- is released from from the permafrost, that will increase that will heat up the atmosphere, which will then lead to the next ten percent of methane right. to be released from permafrost. Which which to so, keep the numbers as a reminder, uh, eight hundred fifty gigatons. That's eighty five gigatons versus 282 megatons uh, that's several orders of magnitude off even if just for 10 percent of it melts yes yeah yeah so there's not really a exactly there's not a like it is 100 percent important for every single bit to be re- reduced it's hard not to argue that that is not something important um but you're you're you're, you're this is the, the the central problem that exists and has existed for the entire time, at least I've been on the show, um, is that the time scale is just not is 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 this is completely out of whack. Um, like that's it. Like like the time scale of of of, of action towards what we need to have action is just not there. Uh, we're in recreating towards like there's like at some extent there's only three options you know there's one option which is that we don't do anything and we just see what happens when it's four degrees warming which is an option um but it's like that's that's and and we're it's, it's sort of where we're headed to now the second option i think is a little more likely which is that as we get closer to that two degrees warming you'll start seeing nations really seriously consider geo geoengineering um which while it will cool the planet wouldn't necessarily and and 
who knows what else it will do. Uh, you know, some of the, some of the, some of the possibilities are just are, are actually apocalyptic. Yeah, we, um, do, we don't have time to get into it deeply today, but if you read up on geoengineering, as far as like how good we are at it right now, it's almost as scary as just letting wet climate change. Oh yeah, it, it, I would like, say it's it, not. It's yeah. not a good option. No, it's basically and nobody if, that knows anything about it tells you it's a good option. Yeah, it's basically fifty fifty. You're doing the exact same, especially because none of the geoengineering options actually solve the pro- the problem with carbon in the atmosphere, which still means all the oceans are going to are continue acidifying. So like, there's not even whether or not you can keep warming below two degrees, you're still going to get jellyfish oceans, uh, which remains, if you remember from the, if you're a long time listener to the show, my favorite apocalypse option. Um, but um, well, and, and I'm sorry to keep bringing it back to this, but it's obviously it was a big thing that happened in my life recently, and so it's an it's an example I'm going to keep coming back to. Mm. It's like telling people, well, don't worry about eating cancer causing things or smoking because don't worry, there's chemo. Like, yeah. Chemo is not like you should never calm. They're like, oh, I don't have to worry about this because chemo exists. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, like not- chemo is a last chance resort. It's your Hail Mary. It's the we've run out of options. We have nothing left to do. But you should never ever. No one has ever used. Well, chemo exists. Therefore, I don't have to worry about smoking or I don't have to worry about sucking on tailpipe exhaust. Yeah. But that is the argument that's being made in this case. Some, well, to some extent, if, if, if that if the people who are really pushing geoengineering, that is the argument. Yes. And the third option is that somehow we miraculously do it, which is which which it would be at this point I don't even understand how but even in that option we're still looking at a bursting of a carbon bubble because we're refusing to slowly transition off it which will t- which takes about 1.5 trillion dollars off the global market and crashes the economy worse than the housing recession that just happened 6 years ago I, like th- that's the best case scenario so it's it's one of these things where it's like we it's hard, you know, uh, to, to pull back actually to the conversation that I was in, uh, that, that I was at yesterday. Um, at one point, um, uh, Desmond uh, at, turned to Bunny and asked, asked her a question, even though he was, you know, he was also on the panel, but he decided to take over moderator role and ask a question because as that's what journalists do. Um, and asked Bunny specifically about her time um, on the on the Rainbow Warrior, I think it was called, uh, which is an early Greenpeace boat, uh, which ended up being, as a complete aside, uh, bombed by the French government. Like the French government infiltrated the infiltrated the the, the ship and actually put bombs on it and and blew it up, uh, killing a photographer uh, who worked for Greenpeace. I did not know. That. Uh, yeah. So like this was like yeah. The, anyways, so she um, she was on the boat and he and, and Desmond had posed the question to her, being like, basically. Um, did you think this was going to work? Uh, and her aunt, and she was like, I, I, I didn't know. I just, I just wanted to do the cause. I, I, I just care about the cause. And I think sometimes that's where I find myself falling back to in this kind of work is I don't see the future where we are doing, where we're succeeding. I don't even, I, 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 and it's hard really to see that, but it's, it's, it's it, still, you're compelled to do the work. And, and so when you get to numbers like this, it's like, sure. Good that something's happening, uh, but if you want to take that as any solace that you shouldn't keep doing all the other work that you're doing and and all the other changes we need, uh, then you're then you're kidding yourself. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me, uh, it seems to me, and there was a recent poll that came out that said that uh, you know with. Uh, I think we talked about it briefly, but it was like with the new climate regulations, you know, now suddenly it's a winner. Canadians generally as in like 52 percent. Let's keep that in mind. It's not like 80 percent or something like that. But uh, more, uh, you know, it's a political winner as far as politicians are concerned that the new carbon uh, 
tax now makes Canadians like if as long as we have the carbon tax and the new carbon policy, people are now more than half the population is now okay with pipelines. Like they see that as a fair deal. And it's very badly informed because that that isn't a good deal. Um, But it's it's been successfully marketed at this point. And one of the things I'm really concerned about is that, you know, Justin Trudeau has been excellent at sort of uh, over promising and then under delivering, but he, the delivery, instead of under delivering, he just delivers later on a lot of things, right? So it'll be like, oh, well, it turned out this was harder than we thought, or it turned out this wasn't easy. So we'll push it back. And it, it might even be like, you know, uh, Catherine McKenna is a climate scientist. She, she generally, she does understand this stuff. I don't have any doubt that she understands this stuff. We've talked before about her being somewhat captured by politics now. And that's sort of what I wanted to talk about. Um, uh, we don't really need to get too much into it. It was more of a, an aside, uh, but the thing about uh, Zocharin uh, is that this will be something to watch, right? Because there is, it has nothing to do with the person's personal character. It has everything to do with with the with a with an environment and your peers. We will now see if Zo, uh, Zoe Karen, um, how much uh, of this line she picks up, how much ball she plays with that. Uh, because I like, don't be fooled. Part of the reason they're advertising, hey, we got this, you know, ex- this extremely well respected environmental activist. Um, now in our government is like part of that is a PR move. The recent person she was replacing was a PR person for an oil company, uh, which would that person was chosen for a reason beyond their expertise. And so is Zoe. And I just, uh, which is, uh, we don't, I don't know. Uh, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not skeptical of Zoe. I'm skeptical of a system in which anyone can operate and be part of the government and still have a serious, uh, uh, effort to push change. We will see. Uh, but that is something I sort of wanted to, to flag on that is, is we'll talk is that a lot of this is marketing, uh, by a lot of people who I think, uh, know better, but are sort of bought into that, you know, idea that, Hey, there's only so fast we can do this, which comes me to my comment to close out the section, which is just that, you know, this uh, the, the number one problem with this government, even if Justin Trudeau, had, say he's right and all of these policies are the are the best economically that Canada can do to push its climate change. I don't agree with that. But say that I just for a moment, I accept that it was Justin Trudeau is still failing horribly by pretending that this policy is good enough. What he needs to be doing is coming out every single day and saying you know, the oil industry ultimately has to finish. It's true. We're going to make sure that those, those workers have jobs. And, and, and if we start to lose oil workers because the, the economic downturn, we're going to provide a, a you know, a, a, a special safety net for those oil employees. And yes, it's favoritism, but this is a, you know, a huge workforce in Canada and we have to protect them. Um, and, but this climate change stuff is serious and this is the best policy we can do without bankrupting Canada, but don't be fooled. It isn't good enough. And, you know, and just went down the line and just did all the same policies and just, but at least marketed it with an acknowledgement that this problem is much, much more serious than this. And to, and to not allow voters to fool themselves or be fooled, um, that any of this is, uh, a solution, uh, because it's progress, but it's not a solution. And anytime you have progress and not a solution on an issue with a time limit, it's sort of meaningless. <laughs> it's sort of completely meaningless. Uh, we're, we're over, but quick comment if you want to step in. Oh, no, I, I was just going to jump in and say that I think... Yeah. What, when you're looking at anything like this, it's the question is, I, I fully believe that people, uh, you know, people like uh, Zoe Khan or, or Catherine McKenna understand the, the, the numbers. Uh, the question really becomes what they can get done. Um, and and man, it's like I, I, I've always come back to this humbling experience of like, like, I'm not always right. So I don't know what I don't know what they know. So I don't know how I would if I could do better. Uh, but I but, it, you know, the point of at least uh, point of at least acknowledging that it's not good enough is uh, is at least is, is an important step.
Yeah, and and it, which is not to say I don't want anyone to take this away because I mean, for all I know, Zoe's listening. Uh, yeah. As I said, I think we're Facebook friends. Uh, which is not to say in any way that that to disparage Zoe's character or to to ca- preemptively cast doubt on her in any way. I'm just like it's for the same reason that I wouldn't accept a job with a government office because mm-hmm. I know that once you're in there, once you're on the inside, the the dynamics change and what you can do and can say changes, and those and for good reason. Uh, but that also limits it. So don't like I think. This is potentially positive, uh, but don't for a minute be fooled in thinking that, oh, Zoe's in there. Don't worry, we've got this. Uh, because now she's part of the government and her ability to uh, be the activist that she she has been is, you know, to a certain degree, that has to go on the shelf. And we just need to keep that in mind. Uh, Megan is going to tell us what her second uh, music break is and we'll come back and uh, I don't even know. We'll talk about some news. I'm going to, you know what, I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk about title power. Let's talk about that uh, when we come back. But here's Megan. We've got faced with. All right, we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Uh, Stefan, uh, I want to talk for a minute about uh, about wind power. Or uh, rather about uh, wind power. Uh, wave power. I, I, you, you, wave yeah, exactly. Power. You, you had promised everyone tidal power, and, and they suddenly switched to wind. They're, yeah, uh, I don't know. All these, the audience. these renewables all look alike. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so one of the, there's two things. As usual, I have a like my naive hat and my cynical hat my naive hat or my let's not call it naive let's let's call it my my joyously optimistic hat uh, my joyously optimistic hat is thrilled that they are looking at um tidal power um it is a oft uh overlooked i think uh source uh, of energy that uh between the saint lawrence river and our two amazing great coasts we have in here in canada um and uh, even, I mean, potentially, d- uh, depending on the, the area, you know, we have th- literally a thousand lakes um, uh, in Ontario alone. Uh, the opportunities to use naturally flowing water to generate electricity is kind of like a big duh. I mean, that, that, I mean they were g- milling grain with it yeah. <laughs> hundreds of years ago uh, with those, uh, you know, uh, stream-based mills and that sort of thing using, using rivers. So it's not a new idea. It turns out there's a lot of potential there. Um, we, we've reported recently from uh, Scotland and a number of other countries doing test projects. Uh, it was... Um, under-researched at first because there was already so much work done in solar. Uh, I mean, a lot more has been done in the last decade, but solar had a bit of a head start because it was it already had some applications in some places, and so there was an existing um, you know technology beyond a couple of sticks taped together, which is really where Tidal was a few years ago. Um, Tidal has now improved a lot, and I'm I'm really thrilled that they're they're being done. So this is a, this isn't just a sort of a loose overview. This is a scientist uh, mapping using a, a bunch of data and tests. Um, it's very broad strokes, so it doesn't get in too much into the fine minutia. But it's essentially um, an overview uh, by uh, University of Victoria's West Coast Wave Initiative, uh, who've used a, a number of computer models uh, all along the coast in uh, BC uh, from Haida Gwaii on down. Uh, and one of the things they found was that there, there is, of course, a lot of opportunity. They're talking about um, uh, as much potentially as a, 11% uh, of the mainland power could be uh, uh, done uh, this, uh, by this method, somewhere between 11 and 15% uh, annually for the, for the mainland power, which is quite a bit of power. Um, 
And of course, this is just all for like local. So a lot of times, so you're not generally going to be shipping tidal energy. Tidal energy is for short transmission, uh, but it makes a lot of sense. If you have a lot of water near a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, it makes a lot of sense which, to do that. So which, that's, you know, that's it, cool. Which in reality, when you're looking at where a lot of large cities are built, they are often close to coasts because they, they were shipping to so their shipping options first, right? So you know, looking right. at, especially the West Coast specifically, um, has a lot of a lot of the largest cities in the world are on coasts. Yeah. Uh, so here comes the salt, and yes. then uh, and then we'll get more comment from Stefan. The salt, or my bitter hat, if you will, um, is that the first thing I thought of when I saw this article was, oh, so you mean after we've come up with our climate change plan, after come up with our carbon uh, policy, after we've already greenlighted every pipeline in existence, after we've done all of these things, then we'll look at it. And it's mm-hmm. not even the government doing it. So the takeaway here and the thing for comment, I mean, that's cool. If you're interested in tidal energy, I think it's super cool. You can read the details, the reports there, go for it. But as far as like the show is concerned, Mm -hmm. keep in mind, like so much of the stuff hasn't been looked at, right? And so when people tell you that, well, renewable energy isn't sufficient or it's efficient to do this or efficient to do that, um, and they're using it to promote an oil point of view, uh, they're almost certainly full of it. And the reason for that is because almost none of this stuff has been looked at. Uh, There have been some government reviews, of course, uh, and different municipalities, different areas have done uh, less or more. I know Ontario has done quite a bit of looking around at wind and solar resources. But as far as a national energy policy, this has not even been scratched the surface. Uh, A lot of independent areas have done this. So like meta studies could be put together in fairly short order because there has been a lot of private work. I know a lot of universities work on these issues. Uh, But the government really hasn't done a full accounting of its options before going ahead with this. And I want to tie this in really quickly before going to Stefan on that, that I didn't flag the article um, because I didn't think I was going to get into it, but just going from memory here, there was another article talking about, um, you know, people causing a fuss because they're outraged that we dare move the national energy board from Alberta uh, or from Calgary specifically. So IE in the same literally or or close to literally in the same office building as the headquarters of oil companies uh, away from there being uh, silly is like, well, (laughs) is is it any wonder when it's, it seems painfully obvious that uh, here from quotes, and let me go back to a quote from the, the methane regulations that, you know, there's a certain amount here where it's not the workers, it's not jobs that are being protected, it's companies and corporate investment. And these companies have unparalleled access to access policy. And so a lot of the time, like a lot of these politicians, some of their ideas about renewables and stuff comes from oil executives coming in and telling them how bad it is because they want to build a pipeline. Um, and a, a lot of time, that's all they know. So really quick here, quote from an article. This is coming back to the methane article, actually, but it's related. Uh, and then we'll go to Stefan for a comment here. So this is from the methane article. We need to be practical. We need to make sure that things are workable. And so uh, we've heard from industry that they're committed, but they need a little more time. And so we're reflecting that in our regulations. That was mechanic. Um uh, and now from Shell Canada, President uh, Michael uh, Crothers says the company was pleased, quote, pleased by the government's announcement. Shell Canada supports control of methane emissions and has uh, voluntary leak detection and repair preventative maintenance programs in place for many years. Uh, gas production operations, blah, blah, blah. So any time that the company being regulated says that they're pleased, literally, that's a quote, um, that should tell you something. The fact that a bunch of oil companies got on board with Alberta, again, we're not going to relitigate the the Notley thing. I understand that's complicated, and I have a complicated opinion on it. But like, just keep in mind the unparalleled access that oil companies have here. And the the end of the day, 
the the government is not concerned with whether or not voters will actually be employed or not employed. They're really not. What they're, what they're concerned about and the people that they're concerned about staying on the good side of is, can we wage war with the PR money the oil companies can, offend, can afford to spend against us in the next election? And that's why this government, in my opinion, has gone after this policy of all of the above. Let's say we're going to do a bunch of really strong, tight things in the, and then say that they're going to be at some date in the future. We'll get this oil companies to sign off on them. And now in the meantime, they get to basically just going at full st- speed, but with the caveat that in a few years they know that they're going to have to go towards this limit and by the way they're already halfway to a bunch of these limits anyway because this is a really like the 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 the, the regulations have been written with their consent and are done in a very specific way that makes it very easy for them to meet them so essentially here's all the low-hanging fruit that you can do very easily uh don't worry we won't ask you about the harder stuff and now you can come on stage with me and say that you approve this um uh, carbon budget i'm very concerned uh, Stefan, that this type of thing is going to be incredibly effective. In fact, I think we just we just talked about how it already has been very effective at, at fooling Canadians about the reality of of these situations and the reality about how decision making is actually done, uh, who people are being looked out for, pilot, politicians, and the rest of it. I mean, I, I basically just in, invited you to comment on fifty topics, but um, <laughs> you have eight minutes to say something. All right, great. Um, I, I I think the I think what it ultimately does uh, is scare me. Um, because I, I don't necessarily, th- what's interesting about all this is that the, the, so like the solution or the, the end of the, of this ongoing, you know, dilemma, um, is, is to live in a world without oil at some point. Uh, there is no future. There is not a future, uh, unless someone invents a technology to actually remove carbon from the atmosphere at an incredibly efficient rate. Uh, which, you know, plants do, just letting you know. That's a thing they do. Uh, and so, re- you know, uh, and so maybe maybe consider, like, uh, to, to sound like Kevin Farmer for half a second, the fact that we have not created a, uh, create, we can't even recreate the ex- basically what plants do um, is is proof that, that we are, we are, we should not be meddling with large affairs, affairs larger like ge- geoengineering. Um, but, What's interesting about this is that, like, all of this is all of this sort of the oil industry is 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 actually in the oil companies are actually very very are being very short sighted, like the, not even not even from if you were just if you were just an oil company right now if you were Exxon, um and and you are trying to figure out how Exxon exists in twenty fifty, um how and if if your answer is let's convince governments to let us do whatever we like for as long as possible uh, and and refuse to invest in the in, in, a, in a real future then then that's not good policy you are not going to exist in 2050 or 2060 or 2070 or or, or whenever we whenever we the 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 realities crash into us i know and and not saying they aren't are currently you know like if if you want an example of of things that things that environments have been warning you about forever look at the floods that are happening everywhere you know, like, look at the floods that are, you know, like, you can't, no one can go on Toronto Island for the next couple of months because because of, of massive flooding. Montreal is dealing with massive flooding. It's, it's like, these are the types of events that people were warned about. Alberta also, I almost grabbed a story. There's there's more flash flooding now. I don't know if that's technically the accurate term, but there's, there's now more rainfall concern in Alberta this week. We've got news out of Nova Scotia. This is the extreme weather season, but the extreme weather season is getting more extreme, and we're getting extreme weather when it wasn't extreme. And this is, so this is today, this 
is now. Yeah. Uh, just watch the Weather Channel once in a while. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and this comes with the caveat that every particular instance of extreme weather can't be tied to climate change, blah, blah, blah. But, like, this is what's happening. This is what's going to keep happening. And the idea that our light, that the Exxon is going to be, you know, driving around, everyone's going to be driving around in regular in cars in 2050 or 2060 when we've blown past the, two, the, the budget we need is, is, is just not a reality. Like, it's not even, you know, this isn't like a, I, I don't want. It's if that is occurring, the world we exist in is a very, very different and very, very scary place uh, because, because of extreme weather, because of all the other things that would be required to live in that world. And so when I see oil companies and, 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 and government pushing back, pushing these things back and saying, oh, it's great that we got an extra three years. That extra three years you get right now will, are, are being taken off uh, from a later point in time. You know, you're not getting yourself three years. Of, the three years of methane regulations you're not getting currently uh, are not free. Uh, they come at a price at the end of this. Well, and also, like, the, uh, the emissions are constantly going up, right? So the, the three years from three years ago to today is not the same as the three years from today for three years, right? right. And so the, 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 farther, the farther in the future, the, more, the worse this is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like the the less the, yeah, three years isn't a static amount of, well, because, of climate yeah, change. Yeah, right? Exactly. Because they're adding warming. Yeah. You can't just you couldn't you couldn't wait until we're locked in two degrees warming and then go to zero degree and then go to suddenly a carbon neutral world because at that point we're still locked in. It's over. It's the the, the no, it's not like the the game to try to keep us under two degrees is over. Not not everything necessarily, but again, this is like. That what gets me about all these sort of conversations is that it's it's so short sighted. Even even from the bet, like is the the only way this makes sense? If you're Exxon or or, or Shell or, or Suncor, or, it was, or Shell was the, it was this example. If you're Shell, or energy transfer partners, or- yeah, or anyone, um, your basic thought process, if you are expecting to still exist and still be selling oil in 2050, is we live in a world in which a very small percentage of people have gotten crazy crazy wealthy, and they are using their insane wealth. Uh, to to keep them okay in a dying world, and the rest of us are out to lunch, and that is the only rational argument that can be made for a world in which Exxon and and and, and I believe it's uh, 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 Shell that has the belief that those two have believed that they will not be using any less oil in 2050 um, to their shareholders, and that's the only world. That's the I, I can't imagine another world in there's, which there's no numbers that say that they're just lying to their shareholders. I mean, I can't I can't prove that for the sake of liability, but I'm just. Yeah. Like the, 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 exactly. They know that's. I, I feel like it's impossible. They don't know that's not true, or if at least it's it's highly questionable truth that they're passing off as truth. Right. Like and if they, and if, they, and if they're just not if they don't believe it, then we're then we're in a whole different conversation. But like I, I it's it's just it's the short sightedness of of all of these actions. Um, you know, it's because it's not. It, this isn't a thing where, like, you know, I prefer one. We prefer one kind of policy over another, uh, or or that there are multiple ways to get at reduce it at to zero carbon. There's not multiple ways to get to zero carbon. There's one way, which is that all things that emit carbon stop doing it. Or we, or, or alternatively, you know, I will admit, if Exxon decides to buy an incredible amount of land and build in and plant enough trees that you'll absorb enough carbon to make them carbon neutral somehow, uh, that's not a sustainable solution uh but it at least might give them the credit they need for the extra three three these extra three years of getting of methane 
Yeah. So unfortunately, that is all the time we have for uh, Stefan. You and I are going to keep talking about, uh, to some degree, what it means to be an environmentalist. A little bit after this, we're going to talk about uh, slow food and stuff in the in the bonus show. We've got about uh, ten seconds to promo that really quick. Go ahead. Uh, not promoing that. I'm just letting you know that the anime and the anime con- conference you're going to is in the same building as the Conservative Party's leadership competition. Oh man, <laughs> I'm so trolling them in my costume. All right, that is all the time we have for Stick Around uh, for the bonus show. Uh, get that on the podcast. As I said, we're going to be talking about what it means to be an environmentalist, a little bit about slow food and some other fun stuff. Check that out. Uh, also, you can check us out uh, and get show notes and everything else at greenmajority.ca uh, and for all the information about the shows, how to download the podcast, uh, a number of other pieces of information. We had a good bonus show last week that was pretty fun. Uh, make sure you check that out. Again, greenmajority.ca for all that information. Uh, other than that, have a good week, folks. 